Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. I want you to think, I want you to picture, I'm sure we've all seen at one time, a glorious sunrise or a glorious sunset that you've seen. Do you have that in your mind, that picture of a sunrise or a sunset that just took your breath away? Well, if you can remember that sight, a sight like that, with a sight like that, when you, when you take it in in that moment, in the immediacy of it, it's, it's not hard to understand why some people of old, way, way back, thought to worship the sun as a god. But being more enlightened, no pun intended these days, we of course know that the one true God is not the sun, but the creator of the sun. Going all the way back to the genesis of all creation, we remember God said, let there be light. And there was light. The darkness of a once chaotic and meaningless void, nothingness really, was not only lit up, but shaped into something, shaped into life by the light of the Lord of all creation. Like our Jewish ancestors in the faith, we perceive the Lord God not only as giving us light, but as being the light by which we now live, move, and have our being. The very word from the mouth of God, the law and instruction of the Lord, is described to us in the Bible as a light unto our feet and a guide to our path. When the Israelites made their exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt, through the presence of bright clouds, a burning bush, a pillar of fire, God's presence was the light that led them towards the promised land. And pointing back to this moment later on in Scripture, the psalmist reinforces the notion of God as light when the psalmist taught the Israelites to sing, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And then much later than that, looking ahead, the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah describe the coming Messiah as the coming of the light, the glory of the Lord. Our sermon series that we started last week is Knowing Who We Follow looking at how Jesus describes himself and what we can learn about that in terms of how we follow Christ. And when we talk about this idea of how Jesus described himself and we talk about light, we shouldn't be surprised then, given everything I just shared, to discover that this is one of the ways Jesus characterizes who he is, not once, but twice. And right now in John chapter 9, we're going to look at the second occasion upon which Jesus declares himself to be not just a light or even the light, but the light of the world. If you have those Bibles open, listen along from Gospel of John chapter 9. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed on him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So again, as we talk about this passage and more that's with it, I'm going to have a conversation partner. And our conversation partner today is none other than Gary St. Clair. He's part of our council, one of our elders, the vice president, in fact, of our council. He has a great uh, career. He's since retired in education. And I'd like you to welcome Gary as he comes forward to talk with me today. Gary, good to see you. <laughs> yeah, as, as explained, when we do this, each person that comes up each week, we, we talk throughout the week. We actually have a specific time when we meet. And this is really, if we could have that slide up there, a sermon in three questions. What's guiding this sermon are three questions, and you see them up there. And I'll mark it at each point when we get there. But we kind of start with the huh, what question. That's what the con- where the conversation begins that we've previously had. Where I meet with Gary, he's been reading the passage, praying over it, studying it a little bit. And I go, Gary, what's your huh, what question? What do you, what's the question where you're listening, you're receiving and understanding, but it kind of, there's something there that you need more clarification, something that would, confuses you or you want to understand better. And when we had that conversation, Gary, I want to make sure I represented you correctly before I share what we talked about. Your question was, is Jesus with us or not? You know, and who is the we? And he's actually looking at that part. If you had your Bible still open where Jesus says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. And his question is, who's the we? But then Jesus goes on and says, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so this idea of, well, if night is coming and no one can work, is Jesus with us or not? Did I reflect that, that right? Yeah. So I'm going to give you the, the quick answer. that I, It's going to be a little bit you know, detailed of what I said to Gary because that's going to lead to the second question. So the first thing that I, Gary and I talked about is we need to re- re- remember that Jesus is repeating something he said earlier. In fact, if you have your Bible open, you go back to John chapter 8. That's the first time Jesus refers to himself as the light of the world. It was during the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you're not familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, it really was in essence a great way to think of it. It's Jewish Thanksgiving. It was this, this celebration where the Jews would build booths, these temporary shelters, to commemorate their deliverance from Egypt, the provision and the care by the hand of God they received during their 40 years in the wilderness. And it was kind of Jewish Thanksgiving because it was remembrance of this, the Thanksgiving of being saved from slavery and provided for on the way to the Promised Land. Now, it's in the midst of this ceremony, the Feast of Tabernacles again. In fact, it's at the, at the, one of the moments, in, it's a prolonged celebration, it's at this moment in John chapter 8 when they're lighting bright torches during this feast. It's kind of the culmination of the festival that Jesus stands up and boldly proclaims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And so he says that in John chapter 8, but then when we get to John chapter 9, he repeats this self-designation again as he demonstrates what he meant as he heals a man born blind from birth. And to Gary's question of was What's Jesus saying here? Jesus, as always, and you notice this a lot in the Gospels, we talked about this, is talking at two levels. He's talking in the immediate, but he's also looking ahead. So let's talk first about what Jesus is saying in the immediate, in what he says in the passage we just read. Well, what he's saying in the immediate is that when he talks about night is coming, that the physical healing of the blind man in this story is a sign. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, John really highlights those signs. The healing of this man born blind is a sign, and it's an indicator of two things. It's a sign of two things. First, that Jesus is the Messiah. Something really important to understand here is 
one of the things that was talked about in anticipation of the Messiah, Isaiah talks about this. Jesus quotes Isaiah in his hometown. Remember when he goes to his hometown? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, including in that list is recovery of sight to the blind. So this is a sign that Jesus is who he claims to be. He is the Messiah. It's what was kind of on the job description, as it were. But it's also a sign of the kingdom of God, of, of righting what is wrong. And that's why you have this dialogue in the beginning where the disciples are like, well, this is just kind of how it is. What sin did he do or his family do? And that, is that, that's why he's blind, so what was it? And Jesus says, neither he or his family sinned. And when Jesus says this happened so that God could, be re- God could be revealed through him, he's not saying, well, he was born blind so God could show his power. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is an opportunity to show the kingdom of God has come to right what is wrong. He should not, this, should not, this is not the way the world's supposed to be. We're all supposed to be able to see and to hear. Things are supposed to work the way they're supposed to work. And so the, the kingdom of God is the reversal of the things that are wrong, making them right. And... In, in this, when Jesus says night is coming, when no one can work, what he's pointing it to in the immediate is what's coming, which is his rejection and crucifixion. And we didn't read the whole story, but if you remember this story, what, and this is why this is important, is this story foreshadows what Jesus is talking about, the night that's coming, his rejection and crucifixion. Because you remember, this man who's born blind is healed, but immediately when he's physically healed, which I just told you is a sign of him being the Messiah, it's also a sign of the kingdom of God, the religious leaders in the aftermath of this cannot see, cannot see that Jesus is the Messiah, cannot see the kingdom of God. In fact, it's more than cannot see, they refuse to see. They refuse to accept what's happened. You read this passage in John chapter 9 further, they actually go so far as to call Jesus, they label him a sinner. They say he's a sinner. And it's this foreshadowing, it's this, what you see happening here, it's eventually going to have them push to have Jesus crucified. So, and the contrast in this story, by the way, too, when we talk in the immediate, is you have the religious leaders who cannot see, who refuse to see, and you have the man who was once blind but now can see. And Gary and I talked a lot about this. Because more than physical sight in this story, in chapter 9, he's given spiritual insight. He's able to perceive the work of God when he's repeatedly questioned. If you remember this story, when he gets healed, he's immediately questioned, not once, but twice. His parents are brought in by the religious leaders because they refuse to accept what's happened and they want to get a different answer. And so basically, we see his insight, this man who was once blind, his spiritual insight, because they'll basically, they first say, who was that guy? Who is this man? And he goes, a prophet. They don't like that answer. And they bring in his parents, and his parents are like, hey, he's of age, he can answer for himself. We're not getting involved in this. And so they bring him again, and they, say, and they say, this man's a sinner. And the man who was blind now can see because he responds, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. And this is awesome. I love this. He goes, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. And when the religious, leader, religious leaders then claim to just go, we don't know where this Jesus comes from, this is the best This is the third moment where the man who was blind can see what they refuse to see when he says, listen to this. The man who was blind responds when they go, we don't know where Jesus is from. We don't know. This guy's a sinner. We don't know where he's from. He goes, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do nothing. He could do nothing. He could do nothing. This man sees what we just talked about, that Jesus is the Messiah, and this is a sign of the kingdom of God. And all of this culminates, by the way, in the immediate, when this man, after this interrogation by the religious leadership, 
is given the ability to fully see who Jesus is because Jesus finds him. Remember, he was blind, and he gets told to wash his eyes, and he, now when he can see, Jesus isn't there. So he finds Jesus, and Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? A title we talked about last week, for those of you who were with us. And the man who was once blind says, Who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Who is the Son of Man? Who is the Messiah? And he's not saying it from the standpoint of he doesn't know that the one who healed him is the Messiah. He doesn't know who that person was. Who healed me? And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And catch what John writes here. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The man who was born blind from birth is representative of all humanity in this story. Because we are all, all humankind, doesn't matter who you are, we are spiritually blind from birth. Both the healing and the insight given to this man demonstrate that we who are blind, we don't just need a little more information so that we can make an informed decision to get saved. We don't just need a little more information. We need the miracle of spiritual sight that only God can give. Two quick examples in Scripture. In Acts, do you remember? In the book of Acts, Paul is preaching, and we hear that Lydia is in the audience. And the, Luke, the writer of Acts, goes out of his way to say, Lydia, who comes to believe in the gospel, he writes this, The Lord opened her heart meaning she was able to see, and that's why she started to follow Christ through Paul. Remember the disciples on the Emmaus Road who were with Jesus? When could they finally understand who Jesus was and what he was saying? Scriptures tell us when he opened their eyes to understand the things found in Scripture. And again, if you were with us last week, a little sidebar, and Gary and I kind of rifted on this too, is everything in this is reinforcing what we talked about last week, that our relationship with Jesus, the gospel is not about the transaction, it's about the transformation. Meaning, we, don't, we need to follow Jesus, not just so that we can see once, transaction. We follow Jesus in order to keep seeing. We follow Jesus in order to keep seeing, to see others, to see the world through Jesus' eyes. And the challenge we see in this passage, and this is where Gary and I landed, and I'm getting to, um, to his response, is when we approach God asserting or pretending that we can see on our own, without the prescription of Jesus, if you will, the prescription of Christ, it amounts to spiritual blindness. That's what we see in the religious leaders. And it's self-inflicted spiritual blindness. Because in God's grace, God desires, clearly through Jesus coming and what he does, God's desire and purpose is for us to be able to see. God or, John already told us in the beginning of the gospel, chapter 3, the cha passage we looked at last week, that the light has come into the world not to judge it, but to save it. So denying the light is bringing judgment on oneself. The religious leaders are an example of that, of self-inflicted blindness. And again, back to John when he writes, Light has come into the world, chapter 3, and the men loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, the one question I haven't addressed, I've addressed the night, but the, the question I didn't address is, who's the we? When he says, we must, the day is the time for when we must do the works of him who sent me. This is awesome. We have the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that comes next coming up in John. We have the ascension of Christ when he goes back to heaven. Is it still nighttime? This is back to the question of, is Jesus still with us? No, because again, one of the more underappreciated parts of the gospel is Pentecost. And Pentecost is the beginning of a new day. So when Jesus says it's day and we must do the works of him who sent me, the we is us. We are the ones who are called to be the light. We are given the light of Christ, and we become the light of Christ. And here's what's really interesting. When you look in John, John says 
John has Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. But if you look in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns to us and says, you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, says we are to shine like stars in the sky. In Ephesians, Paul writes, for once you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The point is, the we is us, and the day is now. Jesus is the light of the world, yes, but through Christ in us, we become the light in the world, doing the works of him who sent Christ, who sent Jesus. So that's a lot. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> so Gary, the key thing next is that second question, so what? We leave after having right. this conversation. I say, Gary, chew on that and come back. And from what I've shared, what insights do you have? What really stands out to you? What, 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 did, what, did that, what thought did that provoke in you? Well, you answered the question whether I had the, what? What does he mean? He's not with us. He says, in the dark, we can't work. Nobody can work in the dark. And you answered what that was foreshadowing. But now the, the so what, reflecting back on what Jesus has been saying about it. And if we're, we're to be the light of Christ, which was one of the things that brought me into the teaching ministry was the idea, how do we show compassion? And I wanted to be a teacher to show compassion to students. Um, Jesus said, for the least of these, doing the work of God is reflecting that light that Christ has given us in the Holy Spirit to others. And so as I reflect back on this, the light that Jesus has called us to be, how to reflect that. You know, the thing in, for me as a teacher in the classroom, it was always the kids who were the A students, everybody wants to be like that, you know. But for me, it was the kids who were the C, D, and the ones that I was ready to kick out of the classroom. And that's not what Jesus wanted. It's the compassion to show the light of Jesus doesn't kick us out of our life. He comes to us where we're at. When it's at the darkest moment of our life, that's where the light is. And um, so when we're trying to, to look at what we're doing as the work of Christ, um, I went back and looked at um, the, the work of those is to believe in the one who he has sent. We have to believe who Jesus is. How do we reflect that to others? And every day um, we're looking at Darkness that surrounds us, but then we have to reflect the light, whether it's in our classroom or it's in our jobs. It can be really, really hard. Um, I had a pastor friend tell me one time, he says, you know, as Luther said, daily we are, the old Adam is drowned through our baptism. But then he turned and said, but the old Adam's a good swimmer. And so he's going to keep resurfacing, but we need that light of Christ again to reflect to others that even though we may feel like sometimes we're drowning. We're not in that darkness. We're being reflective of the light. So um, I always wanted the kids to get that. I always wanted people around me to see, does my life reflect that? And that's the thing I'm, I'm mulling and reflecting on. Does my light, does my life reflect that light that Jesus has put in me through the Holy Spirit to others? And that's what this passage calls it. And you hit it when you said, we Jesus doesn't say I. It'd be very easy for Jesus, but he's never said that. Uh, last week you heard that. Jesus has called us, us to be the light, not for, wait on him or expect him, but we are to reflect that light. We are to be that light to others that he has given us through the Holy Spirit. That's really, really good, Gary. I mean, I really resonate with what you're saying. The thing I would, again, I, that I would, would offer in that is that I, we are called to reflect the light. But the, the key thing I think that this passage teases out as well 
is that sometimes we can hear that idea of, and we just fall back into this trap all the time, is we've got to reflect the light. We've got to generate the light. We've, the light is in us. We've been mm-hmm. given the light of Christ through the Spirit, through the Word of God that we have. And, and I come back to this connection of the, the ability to reflect the, night, the light excuse me, comes from continuing to look through the eyes of Jesus. You know, back to transaction transformation like we talked about. We have this tendency to go, Jesus, open my eyes. And then once Jesus has opened my eyes, I try to use them on my own without continuing to look through the light of Christ. We reflect that light not by figuring it out ourselves. Jesus gives us the ability to see, but the only way we can continue to see is if we keep our Jesus glasses on. You know, I, I, I'm vain. I will admit this. I hate the fact that my eyes are failing me and I don't like to wear my glasses. And so even like right now, I, this is kind of fuzzy, but I want to demonstrate I don't need these. And so I'll do my best to try to, you know, do it like this. But what's amazing is when I do this, ah, <laughs> I know exactly what this says. I know exactly what I wanted to say. And I think that analogy plays out in our own lives is that we oftentimes treat, treat Jesus as in case of emergency. Okay, well, I'll put mm. these on if I really have to. And what Jesus is demonstrating here is, no, no, you have to every day, every, all the time. And in fact, in the moments when it's really hard for you to see, in the moments when your eyesight, but can I believe what I'm seeing or I'm struggling with what I'm seeing? Most of, not that that's when you should wait for, but most of all, that draws out of how you need the eyes of Christ to see and how, how, would, be, how would looking through the eyes of Jesus maybe change how we see the situations that we're in or see the people that we're called to deal with, and, or see the students. That's the thing I love from you coming from your teaching background, is sometimes in teaching, we can have this tendency to, well, we, look, we can see the A students, we can see the B students, because it's all just right there, the grades, everything else. But I, I, I wrote this in Grace Weekly. You know, my first couple of years in education, and I shared this with the teachers this year, I was a hyperactive kid, I had ADHD. Uh, I was kind of, I loved school, but I was kind of put in the corner. It was my second grade teacher who opened my eyes to realize that I actually was smart. Because I always had this disconnect. I loved being at school, but I always got in trouble at school. So it was kind of this place, why do I love to be here since this is always the place where I get in trouble? But my second grade teacher gave me the eyes to see that I was smart. And also gave me the eyes to see, and as teachers do, of how, where I was being labeled as a C student, or worse, a D student, that I could become an A student. I wasn't going to, I didn't have to be limited by the struggles that I was having. And that's kind of what I hear you, you resonate with. <laughs> it is. And it's the kid that's always got his hand up. Ooh, ooh, call me, call me, call me. And that was and me. He, that was me. And it was always, yeah, there he is. So anyway, <laughs> the ones I wanted to call him were the ones that were sitting back there. Don't call on me. Don't call on me. Cause, but you have to encourage. Mm. That's the idea. They may not want to answer that question, but they probably know it. And if they don't, how do you get them to understand it? And having them reach that aha moment we talked about. Mm. Remember that the idea that the light, we talk about the light bulb comes on. Well, when the kid, as a teacher, that's what you always strive for, for the kids to get that. Ah, I get it. (laughs) And when you had that happen, they were seeing. And that's very rewarding for a teacher, but also it's rewarding when people can have that aha moment with your life. And Jesus wants us to have those aha moments all the time. Right. Jesus wants us to see ourselves. Jesus wants us to see our relationships. Jesus wants to see the world that we're in differently. And, and that doesn't mean through rose-colored glasses. This doesn't mean, it means to see the world for what it is, to, as it is, but to see the world also as it's, meant, it's going to become. 
what God is seeking to do. And that's, that's where, again, it's, it's seeing, seeing through Jesus' eyes is both. It's not this, again, idyllic picture of everything's great, everything's fine, everything isn't fine, the world's not the way it's supposed to be. But in seeing that, and, ex- and that's one part, re- acknowledging that reality, this is not the way it's supposed to be, but at the same time also seeing what Jesus promises it will be, and what I it think, can be. And I think to add to that, you know, we're honoring our grace teachers today. There's some of us that aren't at a grace Lutheran school. I've been in Lutheran ed for 43 years, and, but I have my best friend who was in public school for 20 years, Nancy, teaching ESL. And then I was fortunate to hire her as an ASL teacher at Lutheran High in Indy. The thing was, you can do this wherever. Christ doesn't say, oh, it's only going to be there. And for us at Grace, those kids, the only time they may get Jesus is in their religion class or by you teachers in your, who's ever teaching kindergarten or eighth grade history, you get to show Jesus there. But sometimes it's a very challenging position for teachers in public schools to be able to do that. But I have some great public school friends who shone Christ, the light of Christ, in what they did there too. So it's not exclusively just for us in the church, in, in a Lutheran school, mm. but it's also for all teachers, and not just teachers, but in your workplace. Where are you going to show the light of Christ? How do you look for that? Um, and that's part of, like, the reflecting and making connections is how do I reflect this? And when you say the light of Christ, what does that mean to you? What does that look, what does that, what does that mean? The light of Christ is when he says this part back here in the passage where he refers to we must do the work of him while the light is with us, but the light is always with us. So the light of Christ, what's it showing? What's it breaking through in darkness for me? It's the idea that understanding who Jesus is for my life and how then I can, I keep using reflect, but basically the light is in me. How do I show that to others? The kindness, the compassion that Jesus did. He always went to those who were the least. Do we go to the least? No, our world always wants the best, the most, the guy who's out there the most popular. But what about those that aren't the most popular? What about the ones who are the least in our world? But that's the ones Jesus had the compassion for. Yeah, and I, and I love that, the way you're describing that, because something I was chewing on from our conversation is the other element of the light of Christ. When I think about it, when have, what does that mean, the light of Christ? The light of Jesus was not blinding. Mm. Sometimes we shine a light on things, on people who are in the dark, and in a way almost to cast them out in a way almost to make them run away. And Jesus often cast a light on, on people living in darkness in a way to set them free, in a way to, to help them to recognize that there is more than darkness, there's light. That's what's, so, that's what's part of the tension in this passage is when you see the Pharisees who literally have multiple opportunities to, to receive this light and openly go from not being able to see to actually blatantly rejecting, we will not see this light. And I just think that really re- also causes us to look at, not only in terms of, how we've shined the light of Christ, but where do we reject the light of Christ in our own lives? Where do we choose to live in darkness? Um, Scott McKnight, who some of you may know, he's a Christian uh, theologian and writer. I'm stealing this from him, but I think this observation is brilliant. When you're in a room and all of a sudden you try to flip on a switch and the light doesn't come on, if you're not alone in the house, you'll ask somebody for a light bulb, right? Get another light bulb. What you don't say, think about this, is you don't say, hey, the darkness killed another light bulb. (laughs) No, the light bulb blew out. The darkness didn't kill it. The light failed. Everybody, maybe an over-exaggeration, a lot of people 
continue to complain how dark these times are. Mm-hmm. And these are indeed, there's a lot of things we can talk about that are, these are dark days. But it's not because the darkness has won. It's because the light has failed. If there's darkness in our world, it's because we who are supposed to be the light have failed to be the light. The light has come into the world that the darkness cannot overcome. Do we believe that, church? Because if we believe it, then we shouldn't just be pointing to it. We should be reflecting that light. We should be looking through that light. When we enter into conversations, we get into a very cynical world, pessimistic world, enter into a conversation, again, not naive, not idealistic, you know, not ignoring the realities that we see in front of us, but speaking of them in a way that speaks to possibility, that speaks to promise, that speaks to redemption. Our, 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 our words of our faith, redemption, reconciliation, resurrection, that's, I think, reflecting the light of Christ. And, and again, I think sometimes the thing we need to reflect back on, too, and I'll turn it back to you, Gary, is when we, when we find ourselves living in darkness, sometimes when we're living in darkness or we're choosing, or choosing not to see, it's because we're looking or depending on another source of light. What are you depending on for your perception of truth in this world? What are you looking at, looking through to, for your idea of what's wisdom in this world? What's reality? And I mean, I'll be frank, more often than not, when I question people about where their views come from, they don't come from Jesus. They come from somebody who's shouting in a microphone on a TV set or on a podcast. Someone who's, who can tickle exactly where you scratch, exactly where you itch of what you're up mad as hell about and not going to take anymore. And that's how you see the world. What would it look like if we listened and looked through the lens of Christ? Right? Exactly. Um, one of the things you were talking about, I, I read a short story by Max Cotto about a guy who says, Lord, I want to do great things for you. I want to reach out for people. Well, he gets the message back, well, your, your neighbor needs a refrigerator moved. <laughs> and he goes, no, but I, I, I want to do more. I want to do more for you. I want to, well, you know, the person next door needs some help carrying the garbage out. Can you do that? That's, I love that because the reality is, and test this out, guys, darkness, no matter how black or thick, get yourself in the darkest space you possibly can do this this week. Darkness doesn't have the power to put out the light from a single match. Right. The whole room will light up from a single match. The smallest of lights can make a great difference. And what I hear over and over again amongst my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when we get into these conversations, and maybe you're thinking it right now, is, you know... I don't really have that much. I got a little light. My light's not going to make any difference. Who am I? And the reality is the smallest light can make the greatest difference. In fact, light is best seen. Maybe it's best understood. Light is best understood for its value and power when it shines in the dark. Mm. Right? The darkness isn't winning. The light is failing. So, Gary, let's take to the third question as we're wrapping up here. The now what? Given what we've been talking about, given what we've kind of been marinating in, mm-hmm. what does this look like in your daily life? What does it look like to look through the light of Christ, to reflect that light? What came to your mind when you thought about that for you in your walk? I was talking to you this morning earlier about um, an analogy that my kids, when we came out to California, we didn't know much about it, but June gloom. <laughs> You know where I'm going. Uh, I didn't know about it. Nancy didn't either. And uh, I said, man, this is June. I'm out here, you know, Indiana. But anyway, here, 
And they go, no, Dad, it's, it's gone by noon, 11 o'clock. Bright, beautiful, blue sky, 72 degrees, another ho-hum day on the beach. And so you get, you see that, so the darkness gets dispelled by the sun, yes. But the point, I think, to tie this back to what I was saying earlier, I don't want to get complacent about it. The light that God has given me, my reflection, exercising is, God, show me ways, help me to reflect what you have given me that is your light to show compassion to be to others so that I don't get complacent with the sun coming in and taking away the darkness. Well, then do we get complacent? Oh, I'm in church. So every Sunday we go to church and we get to see the light here. But then we always end church with go and be the church to others. And that's the challenge every day is to reflect that light, to be the church, to be the compassion. What you asked me earlier about what is that light? How do I show compassion every day? And um, that's our our struggle, but that's our victory too, being in the light of Christ. Mm. So for me, the insight in exercising that is don't let me be complacent. Help me to see how I reflect the light. And then when I stumble and break the bulb and I get in darkness, (laughs) know that he's going to light me up again and show that light. Mm. And I don't have to worry about how do I do this and what do I do? No. You will reflect that. You always give me a chance to do that. What you're sharing um, reminds me uh, it's a, there's a story of Robert Louis Stevenson. Stevenson, Everyone know the, the, the author? When he was a young boy and this is back in the day when there weren't light bulbs when there were lamp lighters. You know, people mm. would go out and light the, the, the street up that in his, in his youth, he saw this and was just totally fascinated by watching this lamplighter who'd go up on a ladder with a torch and set the streetlights ablaze with a light. He got so taken with it, he cried out to his parents, look, look, there's a man punching holes in the darkness. And what I love about that is that kind of encapsulates this idea of Jesus as the light of the world came to punch great gaping holes in the darkness that shrouds this world in our lives. And he did this to enable us to see what's real. Sometimes we struggle to see what's real, to see what's true, to see what endures, what's worth living for, what's everlasting. And for us, in in order to continue to see the world as it could be, the world as it will be, as it's becoming, we need to keep looking at people, at places, Mm -hmm. at what's happening in our lives through the light of Jesus. A light, again, that's gracious, a light that brings life, A light that comes down not to condemn, but to lead others into freedom, to lead others into the ability to see. You know, I started this by talking about how we see this image of light in Scripture uh, in the beginning, in Genesis, in the book of Genesis. You know, life comes from that there be light. But if you go all the way to the end of our story, to Revelation, Revelation, if you don't remember, ties this wonderful bow of the image of God as light in the Bible by saying this about Christ in the New Jerusalem. The, that, that future that will be for us. It says, the city, do you remember this? Does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives its light, and the Lamb is the lamp. My brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not just a vision of the end, that's a vision of how we get to the end. Mm-hmm. We don't have to wait until that moment. We have been given the glory of the Lord to be our light. 
for how we see, again, each other, how we see the world, but also that glory of the Lord to share to enable others to see. We don't just follow the light of Christ. That's what Gary and I just kept coming back to. We don't just follow the light of Christ. If that's the takeaway, that's what I want you to walk away with from our conversation. We don't just follow the light of Christ, though we need to. We've been given, we've been called the light of the world to reflect the light of Christ through not only how we see, but also through what we say and what we do. Will you pray with us? Light of the world, shine your love into our lives anew. We cannot see. We are walking in darkness without your healing touch. Reveal through your loving light and set us free from all that blinds us to your truth, your grace, your hope. Remind us that in giving us your presence through the word and the spirit, we not only have your light to follow, but we become, you call us to be, the light of the world. To reflect your mercy, compassion, and forgiveness to what can often be a dark and weary place. Jesus, we confess we cannot always separate the light from the darkness in this world, in our lives. For like, like at dusk and dawn, the powers and light and darkness often meet, mingling and mixing in systems and structures in our enemies, even in ourselves. Grant us then the humility to allow your light first to shine through the cracks in our lives before we seek to cast your light in the lives of others. Shine, Jesus, shine through the broken places in our homes, our neighborhoods, our nation, our world, so that all, everyone may be healed, so that all, everyone may flourish. We ask this in your precious and holy name. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.